Hello and welcome to Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This is episode 86. In today's podcast, an update on dog food and heart disease or dilated cardiomyopathy. The herbs slippery elm for diarrhea, inflammatory bowel disease, and cats with kidney disease. Do you have a stinky dog? Try this easy to make and incredibly effective natural shampoo. Veterinary Secrets is on all your favorite podcast apps, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. I'd love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Lastly, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book, Natural Remedies to Heal Your Dogs and Cats at Home. It's at www.veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Dog food and DCM, an update. So this all started in July 2018 when the FDA announced that it had begun investigating reports of canine dilated cardiomyopathy, a type of heart disease, um, the abbreviations are DCM, uh, that was occurring in dogs eating certain pet foods, many labeled as grain-free, which contained a high proportion of peas, lentils, and other legume seeds, and or potatoes in various forms. Many of these case reports included breeds of dogs not previously known to have a genetic predisposition to the disease. Between January 1st, 2014 and April 30th, 2019, the FDA received over 500 reports of animals reporting positive with DCM as a result of diet. And these are in breeds that they wouldn't typically expect to get this type of heart disease. It's not an uncommon type of heart disease that we'd see in certain breeds, you know, such as Doberman Pinschers, Irish Wolfhounds, some of these big large breeds but we wouldn't expect to see it in golden retrievers. So they did a graph of this and it showed that of all the 500 dogs reported, almost 100 of them were golden retrievers, 50 of them were lab retrievers. You've got about a third of all those reported cases were relating to these two specific breeds, which makes you think there really is a diet connection, but just how big is it and what do you need to know about what do you need to be concerned about? So first of all, the one thought was relating to taurine and are grain-free diets causing low levels of this specific amino acid called taurine? Because we know that taurine is pretty key to have a normal functioning heart. If your dog is a completely deficient in taurine, they will develop heart disease. Unfortunately, when they've done the testing, some of those dogs were low in taurine. You could supplement them with taurine and their hearts would recover, but many of the dogs were not low in taurine. So then they're sort of left with, well, okay, what is the actual underlying cause? There are an array of different possibilities. One, it could be dietary chemicals, could be how these certain dogs process some of these nutrients, perhaps how they make up or synthesize and then metabolize the taurine. Clearly there's some type of genetic predisposition and that's what it seems to be. There could be something related to how the ingredients are processed. It could then be how some of the ingredients are interact with each other. Dr. Jean Dobbs of Hemapet, she actually uh, posted an article wondering about the herbicide Roundup, also known as glyphosate, how it's found in pet food. And when they looked at sort of the averages, the amount of Roundup or glyphosate found in pet food is really interesting. They found the dogs are averaging 15 parts per billion, 32 times the human average. They found that dogs that eat raw food have virtually no detectable glyphosate. Dogs that eat canned food have slightly more. Dogs that eat dry kibble have higher levels. And that those dogs that are are eating grain-free kibble, they have the highest levels. It's believed that the movement to grain-free diets using ingredients such as oats, pea protein, chickpeas, and lentils may be a cause. So there's a possibility. There's this pretty toxic herbicide found in increasing levels in our dog's food. There may be issues with legumes. So there's certain beliefs around, you know, pea protein, chickpeas, lentils. Our dogs really aren't designed to digest those. 
You know, some of these companies claim that they're healthy, but they produce things such as phytates and they're substances that carnivores can't break down because they lack the enzyme to break it down. But if we're feeding our dogs all these high amounts of, say, pea protein, they can't fully break it down. It can produce things called lectins or sticky proteins that can uh, then affect your dog's intestinal tract, their ability to maybe absorb certain nutrients, i.e. taurine. So there is a possibility. As part of this update, I wanted you to put this all in perspective, though. So, you know, there's almost 80 million dogs in the United States. You know, since 2014, they've got a little over 500 reported cases. Clearly, there's probably more than that. But if you look at all those numbers, the chance of your dog ever getting DCM as a result of diet is 0.00067%. I mean, it is really minuscule. So knowing all that, you need to put it all in perspective. Do I think that that it's an issue? Yes, I do. Do I think it's an issue that's probably been overblown? Yes, I do as well. So if your dog is doing well on a grain-free kibble, you don't necessarily need to rush out and go ahead and change it. But here are some common sense suggestions that I think can sort of ease your mind and potentially help. Number one, just try to feed less kibble, period. If you're going to be feeding kibble, vary it every three months, going with different brands. Number two, feed you know, some canned food. Generally, it's primarily an animal protein as opposed to some of these vegetable proteins. Point number three, make more of your dog's food at home. Point number four, start to feed some raw food, right? I'm feeding my little dog Tula some prepackaged frozen raw. Because, you know, we're not seeing, you know, dogs with DCM as a result of diet if they're eating raw. And point number five, think that your dog is not an omnivore, but they're they're a facultative carnivore. Dogs and wolves are known as facultative carnivores. And what that means is that they do best on a carnivorous diet. They can survive but not thrive on a non-carnivorous one. And if you take that ultimate sort of point in mind, I think you can really go a long way in terms of one, keeping your dog healthy. And number two, you know, preventing them ever getting DCM as a result of diet. Lastly, I wanted to give a list of foods that do not include peas, lentils, and other legumes, which are not linked to canine heart disease. The list, holistic select, adult kipple, chicken meal and brown rice, go solution, salmon recipe, natural balance canned, limited ingredient, neutro ultra, large breed adult, Farmina ancestral grain, from gold holistic adult dry dog food, nature's logic, grain peen legume free, Canadian naturals, turkey and salmon, that happens to be Tula's current favorite. Uh, number two is feeding more raw, such as prepackaged frozen raw. Number one, making some of your dog's food at home, such as a homemade diet. My simple dog stew recipe, which I'm trying to give once a week, includes one cup of organic beef, just chopped up beef, one cup of squash, one cup of carrots, a half a cup of chopped kale, one cup of water. I put all those ingredients in a slow cooker, cook it for six to eight hours. I cool to serve. I add in a half a scoop of my supplement Ultimate Canine. That's Tula's amount. She's a 20 pound dog. And I'm giving her about one and a half cups of food a day. What is slippery elm? The slippery elm tree, medically known as Ulma sepulva, it's native to eastern North America, including parts of the United States and Canada. It's long been used by Native Americans to make healing salves and tinctures that can help treat various types of wounds, as well as taken orally for the relief of flu and cold-like symptoms and sore throats. The tree is a medium-sized tree. It can reach well over 50 feet in height. The tree's bark has these deep fissures, a gummy texture, and a slight but distinct odor. It's the inner bark that's most often dried and powdered that can be used for medicinal purposes, since it creates a lubricating substance when mixed with water. 
some of the big benefits that come from slippery elm well it's got this sort of sticky substance to it called mucilage and that's what's helping with the intestinal benefits but it also contains antioxidants antimicrobial agents making it also a good remedy for wounds burns psoriasis and other external skin conditions triggered by inflammation like other high antioxidants foods studies suggest it may also help relieve inflammatory bowel conditions like ulcerative colitis which is why it's been now recommended for ibd so the primary big benefit of slippery elm in our animals, as it is in people, is helping improve digestive function in all sort of different ways. One, it's thought to be also beneficial as a laxative. It works differently than some other laxatives. It seems to improve symptoms of constipation, IBD, both in people and in our pets. The fresh inner bark can be used in place of or along with other natural laxatives, AES, i.e. ground flax. Slippery elm has been shown in certain studies to treat diarrhea and diverticulitis. It's a really unusual condition in people, and it's a really difficult one to treat. Additionally, it may help protect against ulcers and excess acidity in the GI tract because it causes reflux stimulation of the nerve endings, and that's the reaction that leads to increased mucus secretion. An easy way for you to start with slippery elm is just getting exposed to it, making a slippery elm tea. That would include one tablespoon of slippery elm bark powder, one cup of boiling water, and one teaspoon of local honey. Does it have any side effects? It's well tolerated. There's limited side effects that are seen in our pets as well as seen in people. You know, any animal, any person may have herbal or drug interactions. You want to be aware of those, but that seldom happens with slippery elm. One of the big things is because it coats the digestive tract, it may slow down absorption of other drugs or herbs. So to prevent drug interactions, it may be best to take slippery elm two hours before or after other medications. The other big point is not taking any herb every day, right? Some of this per standard herbal treatments, you're going treating for 10 days on, five days off. And that's a pretty general rule of thumb for most things including conventional medications even though that's not how we approach them but if you give your body time to rest regenerate not sort of develop a tolerance to it often they can it can deal with it much better with our pets along with ourselves one of the big things with our animals is that it's being used often for some of our cats that have ckd or chronic kidney disease and ideally you're using the slippery elm bark powder and it's been used for an array of different digestive and intestinal problems including nausea vomiting diarrhea constipation as a side effect it can also improve coat dryness and dandruff it works by soothing the stomach lining and the intestinal walls reducing irritation this can be particularly useful when combating nausea and excess stomach acid which many cats with chronic kidney disease have you can usually see an improvement within a day or two of starting slippery elm bark and this has been referenced and studied and i'll put a link under the podcast you can also use slippery elm bark in addition to pepsid or famotidine you just want to make sure you stagger them and you don't use them at the same time as far as dosing your animals, ideally you want to use organic or wild-crafted slippery elm bark powder from most natural health stores. If you can't find the bark, you can usually find capsules in a 300 to 400 milligram size. Generally, it's best to avoid the tinctures because they often contain other ingredients, and some of these can sort of interact, especially with some of our older animals that have kidney failure, so best to be sticking with the powder. So what's the usual dosage for an animal or a cat? One eighth to quarter of a teaspoon of organic wild crafted slippery elm bark powder once or twice a day. 
or one 300 to 400 milligram capsule a day. You can give these whole or open them and sprinkle them on your cat's food once or twice a day. Most cats are given slippery elm bark daily, but some cats don't need it every day. So experiment and see what works best for your cat. You can also make a slippery elm bark syrup, and sometimes this seems to work better for digestive problems or for some of those mouse sores that our cats can get in kidney failure, as can our dogs can get in kidney failure and sometimes some of the other oral lesions. So when you make the syrup, you can dab it on some of these affected areas of the mouth. I think it's a really good option. And if you're going to make it, make this syrup, you need to first of all get the dried slippery elm bark powder. Next, you're going to be using about a cup of cold water in a pan. You're going to sprinkle one to one and a half teaspoons of the bark powder on the water. You want to let it sit until the powder is damp. Reduce the heat, simmer, stirring constantly until it thickens. It takes about three to five minutes. It'll be the consistency of watery egg whites. Allow it to cool and give a quarter to half a teaspoon up to four times a day. This will keep at room temperature for a day or so in the fridge or for up to five days. So if you've yet to consider slippery elm as an option for treatment, say you've got an animal that has specific gastrointestinal issues, your dog with inflammatory bowel disease, your cat with kidney failure and secondary GI issues, I'd have you consider that as a really legitimate and potential very helpful option. Lastly, do you have a stinky dog? Is there a remedy that you can try? You bet there is. Well first, what is causing the odor? So most of these dogs with this doggy smell, they have excessive yeast and bacteria. It's normal to have a small amount of yeast and bacteria on our skin, on your dog's skin, but when they have an underlying allergy, say i.e. atopy or environmental allergy, the yeast can overgrow, producing this really strong, strong smell. Really difficult to treat. So there's two big principles here. The first thing is dealing with the allergy, you know, doing a proper food trial, some of those different remedies that we've discussed in the past, you know, higher doses of the essential fatty acids, some additional 95% curcumin, maybe a natural antihistamine such as nettle, licorice root tincture, sort of as needed. But then you specifically need to treat that primary yeast condition that's producing that odor. And lots of times that requires specific treatment. And many of the shampoos, the veteran ones, just aren't helping. So this is a really good shampoo recipe. I created it for my neighbor's dog who had a pretty strong yeast infection. Pearl, she responded really well to it. So what it includes is three quarters of a cup of green tea, two tablespoons of the natural soap called Castile soap, available at any natural health store, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, plus 10 drops of lavender oil. So I Fill that entire thing on top of pearl, lather it up. You especially want to focus on the cracks and crevices, you know, eyeing in within their armpits, within the groin. And then you'll want to leave it on for a full 10 minutes. It's got to stay on long enough to be really effective, then rinse off really well. Pearl did so well that she's actually smell free for almost two months. Where typically her owner Abby had said it would she'd get a, a bath, she'd have the shampoo, the traditional veterinary shampoo, the next day she would start to smell. So honestly, this really works. If you've got a stinky dog, I encourage you to try it. Thanks so much for you guys for listening to this edition of the Dr. Jones's Veterinary Secrets Podcast. This was episode 86. Questions or comments, feel free to send me an email at podcast.veterinarysecrets.com. Lastly, you can also post. I put all the podcast episodes up in the blog at theinternetpetvet.com. Once again, thanks for listening. This is Dr. Jones.